It is Tuesday, January 28th, and this is a new episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Hi, I'm Tannen Grace. I'm with Ross Merriam. It's about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I have a cold, Ross. I cannot shake it. I cannot breathe out of my nostrils. I'm not happy. It, that's it. Look, the worst part is to have to be constantly, like, mouth-breathing, where you're just like... It's so hard to sleep. Yeah, it's hard to sleep. You know, like Darth Vader everywhere. It's just... <laughs> that's the most annoying part. Like, I don't mind being sick. I feel physically fine. Like, I went for a jog today. It was good. I just had to breathe out of my mouth the entire time. I'm sure it looked really funny, you know, but the, what's the right word I'm looking for here? The, just the, the unease, you know, like the, it just, you're not comfortable. The, you know yeah, I mean? the mild discomfort. Yeah, the mild discomfort is the most important part. So yeah. like first world problems, whatever. Well, hashtag. It's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, you're uncomfortable and you, you want to bitch about it, but you don't feel like it is serious enough that you can, you know, legitimately get that complaint equity. So you're, oh, yeah. it's like the maximum amount of discomfort, discomfort you can experience without getting anything in return. Oh, yeah. Uh, th- here's the thing. Now that I think about it, I'm actually mad at myself today. Um, so I had an easy day at work today. Like I had, a, I had a meeting this morning. It went really, really well. Like I met with a client. Uh, like could not have gone better practically. You awesome. know what I mean? Yeah, good thing. Uh, you know, sat in with one of the, the, the higher ups in the company, did some good stuff, came home. I forgot to take meds before I left this morning, and now I think about it, I just haven't taken them since I've gotten home. I've been pretty good about, I have the NyQuil on my nightstand next to my thing, and I always joke with my wife, I'm like, you want to do shots? You know, like, (laughs) shot, 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 shot. Yeah, yeah. because, like, here's the thing. I'm like like your your typical dude when it comes to getting sick. You know what I mean? If I'm sick, I have, like, a cold or whatever, which I never get sick, by the way. And you see me... Every time I've ever been sick, so I probably get more sick in your eyes than normal because I would always get sick at SEG events because, like, traveling is the worst for getting sick. But <clears throat> I never get sick at home. I, I'm the same way, just very, very rarely. Germs, random people, yeah. et cetera, two, et cetera. Two colds a year. And the way that I usually handle it, uh, if you ever, like, talk to Jonathan Job, he dealt with this a couple times when I, was in, when I was in Vegas, is, like, I would just take, like, three shots of NyQuil and pass out for, like, 12 hours. And I'd wake up and I'd be like, I feel like a million dollars. Yep. That's a great... Um... It's a great, like, you know, 24 versus 34. Oh, yeah. Two, two panel comic. At first, <laughs> it, it, it just says shot, 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 shots on the top. And one panel is, like, you in the club and, yeah, and you yeah. shoot back tequila or whatever. You know, there is this, like, you in bed, blanket wrapped over you, just, you know, pounding NyQuil. So, you know, I'm going to go ahead and reveal the secret that we've had in, in the works for the last few weeks for the, for the patrons. Uh, you know, people say, like, we have something we're working on. We have something we're going uh, We have tokens coming. For the cast. I think it's something, you know, people just expect. So we have some tokens and some artwork coming. We're probably going to make some kind of stickers and stuff with it. Maybe some deck boxes at some point in time. Don't want to guarantee too much that we're not going to do. But you just literally, like, blew my mind with that idea because it's such a good idea for a two-panel comic that I'm commissioning her to do this for me. Yeah. I can be the 24-year-old. You can be the 34-year-old. Well, why would it just be me at 24 and me at 34? Because it's like, that's literally my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like... I think me at 24, it's like I was out of college. I didn't have a job. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, playing, playing poker, poker for and, a living. Yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah, go out, have fun. Complete degenerate. Yeah, degenerate. Now I'm like 34. I was in bed at 830 last night, like ready to go to sleep, <laughs> ready for work this morning. You know, well, I'm 35, but you know what I mean? Like 25 versus 35 kind of thing. And speaking of being in bed early, sorry, I, I have a point on this. Yeah. And I'm a little disappointed with the way the schedule for this part of the year worked out because I just I'm just coming off of two weeks off. And we're this last week we're leading into a tournament, and this is the la- the second week of the Australian Open, mm-hmm. and we're we're at the business end of the tournament. Federer's played his quarterfinal match last night, won an absolutely ridiculous five set match where he saved seven match points, 
He was down match point seven times in the fourth set. And That's then a he lot. Like came back in the fourth set, won that in a tiebreaker, won the fifth set. It was unbelievable. Um, and so, like it, you know, for anybody who doesn't follow tennis, the Australian Open won like uh, you know they are really far away, so it's like a sixteen-hour time difference. But also, it's the middle of the Australian summer, so it's ridiculously hot there. And so they, the Australian Open does a lot of night matches. They have a whole night session, and the back end of the tournament is all night matches. And the night matches there start at like 3 a.m. here. Yeah. It was awesome when I was in college, and those matches started at midnight. And I was like, perfect. I'm going to be up late anyway. I'm in college. Now they start at 3 a.m. I cannot possibly watch a 3 a.m. match. This is not going to happen. You know? And so I just like don't get to watch these last couple of matches. Though maybe that just saves me from having to watch Federer get murdered by Djokovic because Federer's not playing very well. He's clearly like he's called the trainer multiple matches. He's clearly not like a hundred percent, and Djokovic is like completely in uh, in the zone right now. He's just crushing everybody. So I'm assuming it's those two, Nadal, and who's the other that's left? Uh, so uh, there's two halves of the draw, and uh, Djokovic and Federer are in one semifinal. That's set. The other half of the draw plays tonight. Uh, and uh, Nadal is is the one seed. He's still in the tournament. His quarterfinal is against... Um, if you don't know offhand, it's not a big deal. Oh, man. I should know. I was wondering uh, if it was people I've heard of, because I know these three. I don't know very many more in male tennis right now. I, I, I've got it up. Uh, so Nadal is going to be playing against... Oh, Dominic Thiem, uh, who is, has looks really good um, and... Can give him a good match. Team and Nadal have played a lot recently on clay. Team is sort of like the second best clay court player right now. Um, that has the potential to be a close one. Team team can play really well. And the other quarterfinal is Stan Wawrinka, who you might know. He's won three majors. Uh, the other Swiss player, and then Alexander Zverev is a young German player. Um, has sort of underperformed in Grand Slams. He's done well in other tournaments. His ranking's pretty high. He's the seven seed. He's oh, been like as high he as ever. Done it. Yeah, in a big on the big stage. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure if he's made a semi before. He might have made one semifinal before, but he's still young. He's like 23, uh, 22. Yeah. Um, so that that'll be a good one too. Stan looks pretty good. He he's won. Uh, he's coming off a five setter though against Medvedev, who's a really good young Russian player. Basically, like the three guys that you know are still at the top, but like four through nine in the rankings are all guys from what, who are like 22 to 24. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like the next generation is here. Those those are the ones that I don't know very well. Yeah, I don't watch Sports Center as much as I used to. Et so like team team is in that that range. Zverev, uh, you know, Daniel Medvedev who lost to Vavrinka, but Vavrinka looks really good. His his strength is his incredible backhand. He's, he's very strong. He's kind of uh, he's a chonky guy, Vavrinka. Uh, Especially for he, a tennis player, right? Yeah, like, and uh, when he is hit, hitting the ball, he cranks it, especially on the backhand. I've never seen a one-handed backhand hit with that much power. It's honestly unreal. Like, fucking yeah. cranks the ball. Uh, so, the two, two good matches. Looks like there's, they have the the Vavrinka-Zverev match scheduled for 10.30 tonight. So, that'll be an early uh, early one. The, the, so you'll yeah. be able to catch that one at least. Yeah, so I'll probably watch that one tonight. But, uh, yeah, Nadal team is starting at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, so maybe maybe get the highlights. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Federer. Hopefully, you know, Federer at least plays Djokovic tight. I'm not super optimistic there. I think that'll be, if not straight set, it's a pretty easy four setter uh, for Novak because he looks really good. But I'm I'm right now Federer is only ahead of Nadal by one major. It's 20 to 19, and like you know, Federer is 38. Like eventually he's going to slow down. I yeah. kind of have the feeling he really. I think Federer really wants to win a gold medal at the Olympics. He's come close a couple times, hasn't done it yet. 
Um, and then so the, obviously this year is his last shot. So I think he wants to play well through this year. And like next year, he might just do like a farewell tour, basically, where he like plays the four majors, plays uh, Halley, this uh, grass warm-up tournament he always plays, the his uh, hometown tournament in Basel, Switzerland. They do an indoor tournament late in the year. And he'll probably play like a couple others. But that, that's kind of what – and he'll be 40. It'll be a nice time to retire. That's what I kind of feel is, is he's setting up for. So this is his last big year. So I hope Federer gets one more, maybe get some separation because I want him to have the record of Nadal. For those who don't know, I'm a huge tennis fan and a huge Federer fan, if you couldn't tell. I, I, I'm going to try to pro- promise our listeners at home, we're, we'll try not to go 38 minutes into this episode doing <laughs> the, the, ta- the tangents. We'll try not to repeat yeah. last week's uh, thing. Yeah, I, w- I wish well, yeah, I had one more week before the tournament started so I could watch the entire Australian Open. Just been a complete degenerate, stay up until 6 a.m. every night. Yeah, I mean, like we used to do in high school and college. But <laughs> speaking of sports, there was a pretty big sports story this weekend. Oh, was there? Yeah. This is like, it's kind of unreal. Right? Like It's not even a sports story, really, right? Like it, yeah, it, it transcends, trans- for sure. Yeah. So you know? if, you, if you haven't heard, Kobe Bryant was in a helicopter accident on Sunday Sunday morning, right? It was Sunday morning yeah. in, in L.A. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was Sunday. Yeah, it was Sunday morning. Yeah, um, I'm trying to get my days right. Uh, and he did not survive. Neither did anybody else on the plane, including his 13-year-old daughter. Just absolute tragedy, just horrific. I, I can't think of a worse way to go. Like, I honestly, like, just can't, you know, seeing that happen. Um, I, this hit me a lot harder than I thought it would that day. Um, I just remember finding out uh, somebody in, like, one of my chats. I have, like, multiple basketball chats for the fantasy teams that I'm in. And one of them's like, oh, my God, Kobe Bryant's dead. And I'm like, what? And he's like, TMZ is reporting this. I'm like, dude, it's TMZ. And so, like, I immediately go to Twitter and stuff and, uh, anybody who followed it like second by second, you, there was you know a bunch of different reports, but we have the the final report. Now. Took a couple hours to. It took a couple hours to get everything out, right, but... and it's, it's like you said, it's just unreal that someone. I mean, he's forty one, right? You know, like he's forty one. He has four. He just had uh, two more kids. You know, like his second like leg of having children and stuff. And I, honestly, like I, I like I said, I took it a lot harder than I thought I would. I was never a Kobe fan. In fact, um, so I have this little thing that I was going to read real quick that I had saved on my phone. It's someone else's tweet. And um, I'm going to kind of like paraphrase it because it, it, I couldn't figure out how to say exactly how I was feeling. And this one nails it pretty well. This is from like a, a Nanny Odell. It says, as a fan of another team, I hated Kobe. I didn't like his attitude. I resented his talent. And I found his personal antics more than a little troubling. But there's no doubt that the best version of him, the healthiest and most generous version of him died yesterday. This is written Monday. Um, and that is a tragedy. And that's very well along the lines of how I felt. You know, you can say whatever you want about the guy and, and what happened. You know, we're not going to get into that. But it's still a tragedy. And it was still shocking in the sports world and more. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't go to a single website that day, sports related or not, that did not have something about it. Yeah. No, it really has transcended. And, and within basketball, it is like, I mean, I, I watched, they, they tipped off the Sunday afternoon game, you know, half an hour after reports were coming out. We still didn't know everything. Yeah, the, the stadium was already full. Like the, they, fir- yeah. the first 10 minutes of that game, like it was very obvious that like nobody could, you know, focus and play professional quality basketball. They just couldn't do it. Like the ball was flying everywhere. Players like they just didn't have the the mental capacity. They were thinking about something else for sure. Yeah. You know, they didn't have the, you know, it, it was such a huge deal. And like seeing the reaction, uh, it, it was a little surprising at first. And then I like, got to thinking about it. And, you know, when you think about the most influential players in the history of the NBA, right, it's, uh, you know, very early on, you've got, like, um, 
Russell, and Will. In the 70s, you really only have Kareem. The 70s was kind of a weird time in the NBA. Um, maybe a little Dr. J towards the end. So maybe, maybe yeah, maybe put Dr. J in there. And in the 80s is all Bird and Magic. The 90s is all MJ. And uh, Kobe and Shaq, but mostly Kobe, really, in the 2000s and then into LeBron now. And if you think about all those guys, the only other one who is not still living is Wilt who died in, in the late nineties. So like there's, a, and you know, he wasn't, he, he was relatively young, but not super young. He was probably around 60, I think when he passed. So not like, you know, unbelievably surprising. So th- this is like, there's just no comparison for it. Yeah. That's, that's the big thing, right? That's what I think people have trouble with. It's like, you, you don't have a frame of reference for this. Like yeah. something like this has never happened. I think that's what made it so troubling. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I thought about it as a prospective parent, you know, like I want to have kids one day and like just thinking about it from his shoes, like really, really hit me. You know, my wife was even shocked. She's like, oh my God, this is terrible. And I think about myself as a sports fan in general, because anyone who knows me knows I'm like obsessed with sports. I might like sports more than I like magic, which is, you know, it's way up there. It's probably one of my favorite things. And, you know, the NBA's never, you know, never been my favorite sport. But when I think of when I got seriously into sports, when I seriously started watching sports more often, it was when I was in like high school, you know, when I got to that age where like I could really understand the games, not just watching it for entertainment value. Like I understand like why this team's good. Like the pick and roll is really, really good here. Or, you know, you learn about the triangle offense, you know, like things like that. Like yeah. you start to in, get, get in depth. And Kobe happened. So like, you know, I watched MJ in the 90s. Don't get me wrong. I, I grew up at MJ. I had bull stuff. I still have bull stuff. But like I didn't understand why he was so good, like what he was doing watching Kobe doing what he was doing and then progress as a player, you know, that was something that happened during my like formative years as a sports fan. You know, you, you saw his stuff every day on sports yeah. Internet. You, you weren't watching Jordan in 86. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I still remember, you know, like the biggest thing they made the big deal about it when he made his first all-star team, he started, he started that all-star game, but wasn't even starting for the Lakers yet. You know, just like this little kid, you know, this little kid from Europe with like, you know, an Afro and, and like, uh, an attitude, and he was just dunking on everybody. He's one of the first real successful players coming out of high school. Right. Uh, you know, him and Kevin Garnett, really, when that wasn't a very common thing. Um, and that, uh, yeah, he just, I don't know. I, like, even and as someone who's watched watched basically all of Kobe's career as well, like, I di- didn't really comprehend the impact that he had had on the sport. Same. Um, and, and now you're, you know, you're seeing it just every even even outside of the sport. Like I, I challenge you to find somebody who's like in our age demographic that has hung out in public in some way, shape or form and has shot a piece of paper into a basketball, and not yelled Kobe or whatever, you know, like just not done that. Like everyone does that. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. Like uh, I play Overwatch in, in my spare time. And one of the characters has this ability where like she's in a big tank thing. Like she's in a, you know, like a, a mech you know, and she uses it and her like ultimate move in the game is she blows up her mech, but you can throw it at people. So you can like throw it at the blow. And in the game, whenever I'm playing her, if I throw it across the screen, I literally yell Kobe into the mic so everybody can hear it kind of thing. You know, that kind of stuff like transcends the sport. You know what I mean? Like it just makes him larger than life and stuff. And so it was just, you have no words, you know, like it was just so shocking. You know, I, I immediately called you, you know, we found out about this Sunday. It's, it's, it's just a, it's just a crazy thing to happen. Yeah, and it's not like this is, 
you know, we're going to see things die down in the next week or two is the way that, you know, the 24 hour news cycle works. But within, you know, we're going to see this recur, you know, for the next, you know, six months to a year. It's going to be, this is going to be one of the major stories of this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lot, lots of cool stuff coming out of it too. Like you saw the teams taking eight second and 24 second violations because those were his numbers when he played. Um, there's a petition, uh, which I'm, I'm all down for to change the NBA logo, which is Jerry West to Kobe Bryant. I'm, I think that would be awesome. Uh, an the idea has never confirmed that that silhouette is Jerry West, but it, like everybody knows it. Everybody is. knows it's Jerry West. J- Jerry's um, also like publicly stated that he is uncomfortable being the logo like doesn't really like it yeah so that's kind of one of the reasons that i'm kind of uh, i think that would be cool to, cha- to change the logo yeah i told you one of the ideas that i had is like i think that um well i, I think that his jersey is going to get retired around the league like no one's ever going to wear a 24 again or whatever but i think that um they'll never play a game on this date again unless it's a lakers game which i think would be a cool thing to do like there's only one game it's a lakers game and they pay tribute every year you know like they do something you know uh, along those lines I remember watching a lot of his games when he played with Shaq because, you know, Shaq's an LSU alum. You know, I would watch games because I wanted to watch Shaq. Uh, I still remember where I was during uh, Kobe's last game. I was in a place called, it, the name of it's great. You, you've been there. It's just tacos and beer in Las Vegas. You know, great tacos, great, great beer. Yeah, it's literally it's called tacos and beer because that's what they do. Yeah. And uh, I was there with uh, Tim Landell and, and some other people. But, you know, Magic player Tim Landell. And w- everyone in there was there to watch that game. And we were all hamming it up because, I mean, what did he score? Like, six, like 40, 50 scored something? 60. 60. Yeah, yeah, he scored a lot. Yeah. Against the Jazz. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was waiting for the dagger to fall. Yeah. Jazz were, they just, they were out of playoff contention that night because Houston had won their earlier game to finish 42 and 40. The Jazz were 40 and 41 going into the night. Uh, so they needed Houston to lose, Jazz to win to make the playoffs. They would have snuck in at the eighth seed at an even 500 record. So they didn't have much to play for. They had a big lead. Kobe led a huge comeback, scored 60 points. I was so frustrated. I just wanted to finish 500. I wanted to beat Kobe in his last game. They had actually, earlier that year, Utah had handed Kobe his worst loss of his career by point differential. I think it was the previous game. And so, like, it was sort of revenge for that, too. It was all just fucking scripted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, very salty about there, it. There, there may have been a few things that got you know he may have gotten away with a few things in the game. There was like a shove at one point that everybody was just like, "What well, the hell?" But whatever. Things, I mean, he he took a, he took fifty shots, but it, like I mean, down the stretch it was unbelievable. He literally just like the uh, you know the entire year he'd been a shell of his of his former self, and in the last you know quarter of that game just completely took over like he was in his prime, and that's like the kind of thing that you see from generationally great athletes you know because he was yeah you see jack nicholas winning the masters at 46 when like nobody expects it to happen you see federer winning the 07 australian open down a break in the fifth set against the doll after not having played it for six months you know and not having won a major in five years i think at that point four and a half years so like you know that's the kind of thing that you see towards the end of the you know their careers they have that you know they they have that will to be able to push themselves and push their body to, you know, perform at their peak for one, you know, short bit of time. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and transition into the, uh, to what the show is actually about. And speaking of, you know, the top people at their peak, there are some players tours coming up. You know, these are the, the, the first ones we're getting, we're, we're, we're getting pioneer and, uh, Hey Ross, did you know the, the date of these, of these events? I do now. Yeah, I do now, Tannen. <laughs> so you apparently know. Well, Ross didn't know that these happened over multiple weekends. He thought they were all the same, which I'm not going to lie. Fair assumption. Yeah. You know, I went, 
I, so I went looking yesterday. This was literally yesterday. And I went looking for something on their, on their Twitter. I, um, I think I went looking for a deck we're actually going to talk about later on right. that had, had performed well in one of the PTQs in New Jersey. And I was like, oh, they always tweet those out. I went to their Twitter account and I saw the top tweet was just them saying like, yeah, this weekend we're going to have all the like, you know, Magic Fest or, or Players Tours, uh, you know, coming up, talking about when coverage starts. I'm like, that's not till next weekend. Like, what's going on? Is Watson just like tweeting a week early? Am I wrong? Is everything this weekend? Everybody's going to, you know, Phoenix? I'm like, I'm pretty sure all my teammates are going to be in Richmond. Like, and they're all qualified for Phoenix. So I was confused. And eventually I figured out that like those two were just happening this weekend. Now, there's three players tours. There's one in Nagoya, one in Brussels, uh, and one in Phoenix. And you know the the two non-American ones are non-US ones are gonna happen this weekend. And now I was just like, what the hell? What the fuck is this shit? Because like, yeah, all I had known was when Phoenix was because I like you know I've, I've got to coordinate a little bit with Corey and like, are you gonna take that Thursday off from versus? Maybe we get a guest that day. He's actually flying in right after versus, so uh, just wanted to be there for that show. You know, things like that. So I absolutely knew that date, even though I'm not qualified. And I just assumed that the other ones were that date. Right. I you didn't even, know, like, didn't make any attempt assumption. to look them up. Just assumed. And then yesterday, I just find out, like, oh, so we're getting two straight weeks of huge amounts of Pioneer data. And the, these players' tours are the single biggest Pioneer events to date. You know, we, we talk about the Invitational. And, that, and you know, as much as the Invitational, you know, it's a dual format event or whatever you want to say, like, that was a huge kind of a watershed event for Pioneer. It established Model Black Aggro as, you know, an awesome deck that got Copter banned. It established Field of the Dead as, you know, the top end of the format, got Field of the Dead banned eventually. So, like, it really set the metagame going forward. And the, the Golgari Field deck in particular was, was huge. We're, we're going to see something like that this weekend, I would assume. You know, new decks, well, you know, different versions of decks, different sideboard plans, things like that pop up. And... You know, and then we're going to see the the reaction to it immediately the following week. You know, bang bang back to back. It's uh, I mean, it's great. We also have the two team constructed opens back back weekends, Richmond and Philadelphia. Our Pioneer's next couple shows are going to be so long. <laughs> oh yeah, so we're going to have some long shows breaking down all of that for y'all uh, coming up the next two weeks. Uh, I'm super excited to see what happens. I'm kind of disappointed that I don't get to watch coverage for any of these events because I'm going to be playing. Because I, do. I guess. Like, you know, the Friday, I'm, I'm taking a bus into Richmond, so I can probably, like, I'm, I'm not going to stream coverage on the bus because that's going to destroy my data, but um, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure something out to follow along as it's going I'll on text Friday. you updates if something cool happens or yeah. whatever. I'll, I'll, I'm sure. I'll, I'll, be on, I'll be on the website uh, keep, keeping tabs, uh, I'm sure. But the, you know, this would be great coverage. You know, the, the player stores, you know, the first time we see regional player stores, which is kind of cool. Uh, and, you know, the biggest pioneer events to date. And then these team constructed opens are going to be sweet. Like, uh, you know, we're going to be talking, obviously focused on pioneer here, but modern and standard are both in good places too. So we're coming into a team constructed open where all three formats are interesting. All three have a lot of unknowns. You know, we're post banned for the first time in modern. We're you know new set with standard and uh, so things are are really in flux, really dynamic, really interesting. And with you know pioneer, like this is this is going to be what sets you know the the pioneer metagame moving forward. Yeah, I think this is going to be the most influential moment in pioneer, like history 
Like, especially yes. up to this moment. Entire yeah. New Year history, a long and storied history it is. It feels like it, right? Like, it really does. And it's I, it's like, been up for, what, three months, technically? Uh, Yeah, ju- just, yeah, a little over three months. Yeah, it just it, feels I think like it was forever. 1021 when it was, uh, I, think it, I think it was announced on 1021, and yeah. it's now 128, so. Yeah. And, and 1021 minus 128 is, you know, is three, is three. That's how math works. Sure, I, I didn't even listen to you. Whatever, I have this. Three hundred seven. We had we. There was a joke about this on Twitter in the last day or two. Someone said, "Please talk about it on, on the cast." We're not going to get into it, but I have. This, oh no, it's in the show notes. I am conditioned. No, we're not. No, we're doing a section no, about math. No, I am conditioned. Whenever Ross t- starts talking about math, uh, I just tune him out. So when you roll a six sided die, no, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. Obviously, half the faces are odd and half of them are even. <laughs> stop. Okay. Stop. So when you roll two six sided dice. You can you, there's half even, half odd on one uh, on one die, half even, half odd on the other. Okay, so then we've got a quarter when they're both odd, a quarter when they're both even, and half the time one's odd and one's even. Well, if they're both odd or they're both even, then the sum is even. If one is odd and one is even, then the sum is odd, and that's half and half. And then you can use induction to prove that the same is true for n six-sided dice, where n is any natural number greater than or equal to one because induction is great yeah sure it is yeah if you read my if you read my wine tweet from a couple days ago you know how i feel about induction um so yeah that's that's our fun with math segment which will be recurring every week uh, as i tutor tannin and calculus for no reason i will fucking quit (laughs) (laughs) i think my last math class is either in 2003 or 2004 one one of those two years don't don't worry i got you We'll bring, right, sure, we'll bring sure, you sure. right back up to speed. Sure, sure. So, uh, like Ross said, the players' day uh, tours are on different weekends. I so you got to choose which one you played in, apparently, right? Like, if you wanted to go to one outside of your country, you could because a couple of Americans are going to the ones this weekend. Like, I know Christian Calcano is in Japan. Uh, I think you said Seth Manfield is going to I, one of I, them. I thought I heard Seth is going to one of them. I can't remember yeah, which one he landed on. You know, I think um, Calcano's with Alex, Mo- uh, not Mo- Alex uh, Hain. Canadian. Right. right. Uh, so, you know, people are, are traveling for these. There, you know, there is some talk about like, you know, which one do you think is hardest? Which one do you think is going to be easiest? Obviously, like, I think everyone expects Phoenix to be the largest of them just to do to the, you know, uh, population statistics of magic players um, being so centered in the United States. And, uh, and more know, people do, qualified too. Yeah. But does, does larger, you know, mean harder? It's the same number of rounds. Maybe you need a slightly better record to top eight or a significantly better record. Or do you want to play in the more dense fields? You know, Europe has a lot of really good players. Japan, too. Um, there's a uh, there's an argument to be made that less people will play bad decks in Phoenix because they'll have the results from the first two. Yeah, that's the thing that gets me is like, you know, to me, they're, they're different tournaments now. Right. You know, they're the same level of tournament. And that's what matters in terms of, you know, them giving out the same prizes or whatever, being weighted the same for points. You know, it's the same level of tournament. So that's fine. But these are different tournaments. It's not like you and it's going to be weird, I think, for the Phoenix players, because like if if I were playing Phoenix, it would be hard for me to want to prepare for Pioneer before knowing the results of this weekend. And, you know, maybe I maybe I play a little bit. So I have some idea, but I would be focusing really heavily on the limited portion and then trying to catch up with Pioneer after I see the results of the events this weekend. And that's tough, you know, especially if you're flying in. If you're flying Thursday, are, are you going to be testing nothing, just four days, Sunday through Wednesday? Uh, that's that's the entire thing. Uh, you know, are they tired of your, of your you know, really significant testing or you have an idea of what's going on? Um, 
So maybe I would get a little bit and I would like, you know, enough to establish where I have a default deck. Or like, okay, if the metagame breaks well, this is the deck I want to play. And if, you know, things go way differently, then I'll, you know, just take a step back and reassess. You know, that's, um, and I don't know that like, that might change, that to me, I think is a significant variable in which one you want to go to. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a really good, you know, deck tuner, really good metagamer, I want to see the results from the first weekend and I want to play Phoenix. If I am better in a more open metagame, and granted, I think there's a pretty well-established metagame here, but like, it's a, it's still an, it's still kind of a naive metagame. Maybe, maybe that's a bad term, but like, you know, Pioneer is young. It's not fully explored. Uh, You know, there's, I'm sure there's things we've missed. You know, it, it took years to break down modern and get all the different archetypes that we now know, uh, you know, to emerge. So, you know, if, if you want to play that more open metagame, maybe you want to, to make the effort and go to one of the ones on the first weekend. Um, that, and that that's just not like, you know, this is not a thing that I thought was a variable in any of the decisions. I thought it was mainly like, you know, which one do you think is hardest? Do you want to spend the whatever amount of money to travel to these events? Maybe you just really want to go to fucking Japan. I don't know. Like, I, I heard some people talking about it. They were like saying that you, you should have to submit your decks on the same day, no matter which one you're playing it or not. But I think I think that's just not reasonable. Yeah, then you just get way less time to prepare for for Phoenix. Yeah, you you can't do that. Like the the, the you know the results messing up the the next weekend. I don't think is like that's not a, a, a negative on the tournament. Yeah, it's not a negative on the tournament. It's just a change. It's not a it's not a minus. It's it's a it's I'm looking forward to it. Horizontal like, change. You know, if, if like a deck overperforms and one of the first ones, like let's just say like the mono red decks do really well in these two, it's like, what do you see happening in Phoenix? Do you see people, yeah, I'm going to play mono red with like a really good sideboard for the mirror, you know, or do they start playing decks that are just really good against these mono red decks, you know, kind of stuff like that. So super good to see that. Uh, really can't wait to dive into this. Uh, I know that the Japanese one will be rebroadcast in English, so I'm super excited about that. I'm going to be trying to watch and digest as much of this as I possibly can. Do you know we're getting coverage of the the European one, right? So that, that'll I'm, be live and the Japanese one will be a rebroadcast. I'm not 100% on any of this besides the the rebroadcast. I I assume that it's live. It could also be rebroadcast. I I don't know. Um, I'm going to try to watch as much as I can of both of them. Because I do think the limited format of this set is actually really sweet, too, if you if you like limited. And I've actually been playing a ton on Arena playing uh, limited. So, like, it makes it easier for me to watch it when I know what the cards do. You know, so, like, I can understand what's going on on the board. Because otherwise, limited is pretty hard to watch. But, speaking of tournaments, we had a pretty big one this weekend. Uh, I know there's nothing on Twitch. But we had the Pioneer Showcase Challenge. Now, Showcase Challenges are, are um, a little new. We, we are getting live coverage of right, Russell, so by the way. Ahead. Just yeah, we, we got the all the Europeans, you know, a little Riley Knight, little Big, big Z, Tim Willoughby, Wardo, Sachgalik. Big fan of all those. Ashlyn guys, Rose. Those are some of my um, favorite announcers for. And then we got, we got they, they sent Marshall to Nagoya. Maybe he requested that. I don't know. But Maybe he's doing both. We got Marshall. We got Tom Martell. We got uh, Amy the Amazonian, Matt Sperling doing coverage in Nagoya. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and then the next week they're fly- well, they're flying in everybody. They, they might actually not even be in Nagoya, by the way. It doesn't necessarily oh, they mean might they're be, on yeah. site. Yeah, sure. they might just be in Seattle and do it from there. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so more about the uh, Pioneer Showcase Challenge. This is like kind of a new thing that's been happening on Magic Online. These these aren't you know super. I mean, they're pretty new, right? You know, you have to qualify for this. It's not like the challenge events that go on the weekends where anyone can sign up. Uh, you have to qualify for this. So this tournament a lot more dense than your typical 
weekend challenge. We were talking about this is might be more, you know, it's not a player's tour, but it might be close. You know, it might feel like a really good day two at a Grand Prix kind of thing, you know, like really late in an open, you know, something like where you expect everybody you're playing against to know what they're doing, right? You know, understand their deck really well. You're not going to be getting any free wins, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely, um, it, it raises, I think, the level because you expect that that kind of tournament, even though it's fairly large, had a, you know, it was an eight rounder. So you're talking something in the hundreds or in the, in the one to, you know, one, one to 200 range, uh, one, I guess 130 to 230 or whatever. Um, you, you're, there's no, you know, you're not going to get a lot of fluff, you don't, you don't think. So you're going to get a pretty healthy uh, number of these top performing decks, which means you're going to get a pretty good sample size of the matchups between them. And so the things that rise, rise generally because they, the decks themselves are well positioned as opposed to the players just, you know, being significantly above their competition. You know, yeah, good point. Good point. So, like, it, it's less about. I think it's actually, you know, from the, reading the results, it's less about the quality of of the competitors themselves, and more about how it flatlines or flattens the curve of the you know skill of the players in the event. Normally, you know, there's a lot more in that morass of just kind of you know medium people, players that are, you know, uh, especially in paper events, you know, where magic is just their hobby. You know, they're trying to do well. They hope to do well, but they're, they're under no delusions that they're like, you know, super hardcore trying to get to the top eight every single time uh, and expect to do really well. You know, a lot of those players fall by the wayside, even if they hit some good matchups because they're just, you know, they're not playing at a super high level. So I think it's a lot easier to read these results with confidence. Uh, and uh, and honestly, like the results aren't super surprising to me. They make a lot of sense based on where I saw the metagame going. So uh, uh, I got I to gotta agree. And the deck that rose to the top to kind of use your your analogy there the deck that finished first i'm not really surprised by this that mono red did take down this tournament i am a little surprised by some of the cards are in this deck because this is why we wanted to talk about this one to start this one's a little bit different i'm going to start with the two instances that are that are in the deck you're seeing four wild slash four lightning strike we actually saw that kind of go away in the past like we've seen the the chunky red deck kind of shift away from having both of those burn spells into some different forms but there's a specific reason why ross this one's a lot more of an aggro version, right? Yeah, this really is moderate aggro, and I think the the key here is you're seeing Monastery Swift Spear alongside Soul Scar Mage. Also, Abbot of Carol Keep, just more prowess creatures. Yeah. So twelve prowess creatures. Honestly, look for the number of prowess creatures in the deck. Not a lot of spells. Like you see, Wild Slash and Strike were maxing there. Bone Crusher Giant with the stomp half of it gives you a spell. And then there's one Chandra Torch of Defiance that'll trigger prowess as well. It's Thirteen spells. Kind of low to me as far, you know, for playing all of these prowess creatures. To be fair, to be fair, uh, almost every card of the sideboard triggers it as well. There's four sc okay. uh, Scab Clan Berserker, almost said that incorrect, but everything else triggers it. So, hey, you know, the sideboard cards come in a little bit, but... I'm, I'm, I'm a little wary of that, but I, I really like, you know, going to a lower curve deck. We've seen Chonky Red fall off recently, and that was in large part due to the influx of Niv-Mizzet. Right. The, the Niv decks are really dominant in any mid-range attrition battle. I mean, there's just no card more powerful than Bring to Light Niv-Mizzet like that. You have so much versatility. You have so much, you know, rock hard advantage. You have this huge body that the red deck has trouble dealing with. And, uh, you know, the Chonky Red deck, the way it's built, just really couldn't get underneath them. It, it You know, Chonky Red came up at a time when the, the decks you needed to go underneath were like Azorius Control and Monogreen Ramp. 
And Gobble Rabble Master do, like, does a really good job of getting underneath them. It doesn't do as good a job of getting underneath the deck that has, you know, Deafening Clarion, uh, Sylvan Carry added to block down a little bit, uh, and, you know, Siege Rhinos and things like that. Um, and it just it wasn't quite fast enough. Um, so they've really needed to go super uh, under the curve and try to get you into Burn Rage by the time the Niv decks are casting their namesake card. Uh, this deck does, you know, does a good job of that. Still a fairly low curve. Got our eight one drops. Got what seven two drops with Karizev and Abbott, and then four Chain Roller, four Torbrin, and Torbrin. You know, when you talk about trying to get reach, uh, it's probably the best in the business. Yeah, and like that's what I like about this deck is you see it has a concise plan. It saw what the format was doing. You saw Niv Mizzet getting popular. You saw these decks going bigger than the big red deck, so you no longer got your advantage there. So it's like, well, if I can't go over you anymore or compete with you that way, I'll just go under you again. And the three, the four chain rollers is interesting because it means that you know Muta Vault's a little less playable in the deck. You only have one in this version, and that's a card that I'm always super high on, especially in it's, these decks. Getting I think to play one Mutavolt. of the three best cards in all of Pioneer. Right. But I'm a big, big fan of having extra two drops in this deck. You heard me talk about it when we talked about uh, the the version that people kind of played of this, where they added black, and they got the uh, they got to add another two drop in the deck. I was because here's the thing: if you go like creature, 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 Torbrin, they're gonna die. Like you know, like the the way the format plays out. I've been playing this deck quite a bit myself. Torbrin is busted in this version. Uh, in the other versions, where you're a little more like controlling. And a little more mid-ranging, and I, I found myself using resources like training off a lot earlier. I didn't like Torbrin as much because a lot of the times I'd already used my cards that were good with Torbrin, and I didn't have a board presence to really take advantage of it. So I feel like yeah. this one's definitely a stronger deck with that card. Yeah, the, you know the this mono red deck. You know the overlap between this and Chonky Red is those burn spells, Wild Slash, Lightning Strike, Bone Crusher Giant, but they're using them in very different ways. You know the Chonky Red deck. They it used those cards really as the low end of its curve. Soul Scar Mage was like kind of cute in the deck. It helped you deal with bigger creatures. Uh, Karizev gave you like just enough of that that push early, but it really wanted to be trading off on the first two turns and then overpowering you with its really good three, four, and five drops. Uh, this deck is trying to play to the battlefield early on those first two turns of the game. You know, it can wild slash a mana creature if you need to, or if you're on the draw and like maybe you want to hit uh, something with a wild slash, something like that. But the goal is to get down your Soulscar Mages, your Monastery Shift Spears, your other cheap creatures. And if you're playing a bunch of creatures in the first three turns, instead of two removal spells in a creature or, uh, you know, things like that, that pattern is a lot better for Torbrin because you have this battlefield established. You get to play your Torbrin, attack with those creatures, get immediate value out of it, dealing a bunch of extra damage, and then untap with that. But those burn spells still left over. And you can, you know, take out blockers with them and finish your opponent off, or you can just go straight upstairs. Big fan of this deck. Uh, I think it's a player going forward. You're going to start to see that the red decks are going to be like no longer homogenized. There's going to be different versions of the red deck. Like you have to, you have to think to yourself: Does my opponent have cards like uh, Glorybringer, Glorybringer or, in their or deck, no. or are they playing the the version where they're trying to burn me out? And you should be able to figure it out within the first couple turns. Maybe the thing is, there are draws that are going to be very similar from both <laughs> of these. So it's it's really going to be the land go stomp your thing on two, bone crusher on three, and you're just like they could be anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but there there was indeed another version of Monored Agar that did quite well at the PTQ. This is the deck I was alluding to earlier at um, Magic Fest in New Jersey. This is from Zach Keeney. It has since gotten a lot of love from Kellen Pastor on Twitter. Apparently, they uh, kind of worked on it together. Yeah, together. Just, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, both very strong players. 
uh, a, you know, a similar looking deck, honestly, even lower to the ground. This yeah. is, we're, we're looking at 12 one drops in this deck with Bomat Courier supplementing the eight prowess creatures. The, the real key innovation to the, their list though, is I think Rimrock Knight. Yep. You know, one of the, when Piner first started, it was for, you know, first unveiled, I had this idea in my head that green decks got to play eight, eight mana elves, that white decks got to play Toolcraft Exemplar, Thraben Inspector, and red decks were going to play Swift Spear and Soulscar Soul Mage. Yeah. And, you know, the, that white core, that vehicles decks, they just haven't really materialized. Obviously, Lanor Elves and Elvish Mystic have been staples ever since the format began. Uh, but the the other thing is Soulscar Mage and Swift Spear are also kind of underperformed. We saw a good amount of red aggro early in the format. You know, it's an easy thing. People were building a lot of decks. A lot of them had Eidolon in the main. They didn't really work that well. And they, they just sort of fell by the wayside. And I think one of the things that uh, hurt them was we we wanted to, you wanted to build a deck that took advantage of prowess creatures. And that meant playing a lot of cheap spells. And Pioneer just doesn't have that density of cheap spells. It's one of the reasons is it Phoenix hasn't really taken off. You just don't see a lot. Like every deck has like one good one mana spell. You get to play Opt, you get to play Wild Slash, you get to play Thoughtseize, and that's really it. I guess you get Fatal Push and Black too. That's one of the reasons Black is so good. You know, it has two one-man spells. But you're not seeing decks like you saw in Modern that get to play 12 cantrips, 16 cantrips in their blue decks that, you know, want to do that. They're, you don't get to play Lava Dart with your eight red prowess creatures and really go ham with them. And certainly you don't have any free spells. So that, instead, you know, this Modern Red deck had a bunch of cheap creatures in it, but eight of them were these prowess creatures so you didn't really get to take advantage of that well. Well, Rimrock Knight is a great card for bridging that gap. So adds, you know, it, it's a reasonable two drop, two mana, three power, but it gives you another one mana spell for when you have these these prowess draws. Uh, so I really, really like the addition of Rimrock Knight. I think it's one of the, you know, key cards in the deck and one of the reasons I prefer this list over the winning list from the uh, the showcase challenge. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really high on Rimrock Knight. So um, As am I. This is this is a deck I'm strongly considering for this weekend because I'll be in the Pioneer seat in, in for my team in Richmond. We also see Phoenix of Ash in their deck, card I like quite a bit. Just has a lot of text on it that's really good. I've been super impressed with this card. I've been playing a lot of Mono Red lately. Um, the fact that it's a flying haster for for three is fine. You know, it gets in. It, it gets the recursion is really good. Plus, it's a mana sink late in the game, which you see that they they have an idea for that, right? Like they have Phoenix of Ash and they have Hazaret the Feverant. So like you have two creatures that are good mana sinks late in the game. Plus, I wanted to kind of piggyback on what you were talking about. They even have Skewer the Critic in their uh, in their list. So just even more, quote-unquote, cheap spells. If you have the turns where you're like, your opponent's not interacting with you, and you're like, Soul Scar on one, like, Swift Spear or whatever on two, and then you can just go like, all right, uh, Wild Slash you, Skewer you, you're dead. Like, take a million. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine going, like, turn one, Swift Spear, attack you for one, turn two, Soul Scar, you know, Rimrock, the, the adventure side, now you're attacking for six. They're at 13. Next turn, if you just have, you know, Lightning Strike skewer you, they're at seven and you're attacking for six. So they're at one. And that's a really strong draw. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of draw, getting them to one on turn three. Yeah. That, that's above what we've seen other red decks do. Also, I like this because, like, this deck can play a longer game. Like you said, you've got Hazaret, you've got Bomat Courier. You've also got, you know, the four Remnant runs to finish the game off. And I feel that this version of Mono Red is the, that's taking advantage of its lands the best. Like it's got Rudiment Ruins and it's got three Mutavolts and it's they're being used aggressively. 
like in all the versions of like chunky red i was always like yeah like why is runes in this deck like you don't really need it and you know like it was there because it was basically free right it's basically free yeah like that's what i'm saying that's fine but i wanted like a distinct reason i want to get my opponent dead like quickly and i like this deck a lot um, you're seeing a lot of um, homages to, to former standards as well in this, like and or current standards. You're seeing Phoenix of Ash, but you're seeing Experimental Frenzies in the sideboard for Eidolon of the Great Rebel. Great sideboard card against a couple of the decks that are popping up right now. Any of the combo decks uh, do not like this card. You're seeing four Tormod's Crypt still because they're still they understand that that matchup is horrific or bad at times. They do not interact well. And then you see like some Abrades and Chandra's defeats. I'll say this: if I was playing red. At one of the events this weekend, two Chandra's Defeat is my minimum. And I'm probably going higher. That is... That is bold. Uh, uh, like, I was higher on that card when Chonky Red was everywhere. Because it was it's so unbelievable to tag a Glorybringer with it. Uh, and like the fact that it's one, it's like easy to disguise. Your opponent really has to pause if they want to cast a Glorybringer into any open mana. Um, and with the lower curve, I don't think it's as important... But it's still very good. You know, I think it's the best cyber card for mirrors. I don't think there's a huge game breaker for the mirror other than maybe Hazaret, though Soulscar Mage does help contain it, much like it did in Standard. Um, so, like, may, maybe you want some, if you don't have Hazaret already in the main, maybe you want some combination of that along with uh, along with Chandra's defeats. But I don't expect a, as much mono red as we saw. I think it's good. Like, I, re- I really like the deck, but it's not as, it's just not as popular. We might see a lot more Monored in Phoenix, actually, because I think Mono, I think Monored Aggro is really good for this weekend. We're, you know, usually paper is a little bit behind online, so we see this happening this past weekend online. Granted, this is a major paper event, so most people are really well attuned to what's going on. So we might see, um, you know, p- people really react to red this weekend or really pick it up. I could definitely see that. So maybe you're, you know, maybe you're right. You now, the, the more I think about it, actually, the more I, like the wheels are turning in my head. I think you're kind of right. I think you want Min too. I feel this happens a lot when you and I have a conversation about something and I make a statement and you're like, I don't know. And then you talk it out for like a minute or two and then you're like, yeah, you're probably just right. You circle around to me eventually, yeah. which is like, all right, cool. No, maybe, I'm not as, like, maybe I'm not as dumb as I think I am. That's but. that's how I do things. I'm very yeah. contemplative. Uh, yeah. I've got to, you know. That's not I, a bad I find, thing. I have a, find a lot of value in just talking things out. Yeah, it's and, great. And almost stream of consciousness and I eventually end somewhere good. Um but the, the, this mono red aggro is sort of the breakout deck, as far as I'm concerned. If you're still like a, a chonky red aficionado, you should be looking to to slim down. You know, get those shakes in the morning. Uh, you know, slim fast. Let's go. Yeah, get on a, get get on the treadmill. You want to slim down. You want to cut the cut those glory bringers. You know, we, we've praised glory bringer a lot on this show. Mm-hmm. Now is not the time for it. Have I ever told you my uh, my workout uh, equipment of choice, like the, the the one that I want to use the most? Is it a Bowflex? It, it's close. It's close. It's it's a thigh master. Do you remember the thigh master? <laughs> this is like some Jane Fonda shit. Yeah, I, I put my spandex on. Get my my. my oh, you uh, gotta get a headband. Yeah, yeah, the headband, the wristbands. Get maybe some ankle weights. Oh yeah, ankle weights. Yeah, those that was a thing in my high school. By the way, there's a lot of ankle weights going on for the basketball players and stuff. But anyway, oh man, my dog has come in. She wants to be part of the show. Now, now is not the time for Glorybringer. Yeah, now I, is I really the time for Glorybringer. Definitely agree with you. The second place deck, mentioning breakout decks, I think is the other breakout deck from this weekend, and people are starting to realize that this deck actually is a good strategy. In fact, you wrote an article about it this week. Yeah, some incredibly intelligent person realized that this deck looks uh, quite good. We are talking about Azorius Spirits, second place from the Pioneer uh, Showcase Challenge. This is from Max Attack. 
Uh, you know, a pretty straightforward deck. Uh, Tannen has now ch- turned his camera to show me Benny, who looked straight in the camera, too. I'm pretty sure this is Max Mc- Max McVitie, by the way. Is Ma- Oh, Max McVitie's Max Attack? I, I'm pretty sure it's him, because I remember him posting about getting second. But Okay, that makes sense. I've, I've, heard, I've heard he's on this deck. This is a man who knows his way around an aggro deck, by the way. If you're not familiar with the legend of Max McVitie, former Invitational Champion with Mono White Aggro. Just all-around insane Magic player that doesn't go to a ton of events and stuff. Yeah, he, he's one of those guys that has a very narrow range. He plays aggro decks in every single format. But he is incredibly good with them and very good at building them. So when you know when he's on aggro deck, you really want to pay attention. And this one is super straightforward. His list is literally nine four of creatures, almost all of the spirits. Brazen Barrer is the only exception, and twenty four lands. Uh, you know, so nothing crazy. The key here, he's not playing Curious Obsession. This has been a sort of a staple of the, of the no deck spells thus far. No spells in yeah, this deck. No spells. Not playing Obsession. I think that card is really good if you expect a lot of control, but basically not good anywhere else. So I'd like cutting it right now. Uh, you know, long-form thoughts on this deck, you can consult my article. It's on StarCityGames.com. It's live now. Um, I, re- I do quite like this deck. I think it's very good at, at somehow finding the space between the really low-curve aggressive decks, Mono Black, Mono Red, and uh, still beneath Niv-Mizzet. So and I think that's tough to do. You know, Chonky Red is a little bit too big. That was the problem with it. This deck's a little bit smaller than that, and it finds really it's in the right space. So, like, you know, you can play your counter spells against their expensive removal. You can, you know, get around big blockers like Niv-Mizzet uh, with Nebelgast Herald. I think Herald is also awesome at turning games around against aggressive decks. You know, the, this is a tempo deck, and I'm sure you know that tempo decks often struggle against really low-to-the-ground aggressive decks because you're just not that good at playing from behind. Nebelgast Herald is a great card at catching you up, you know, just you know, tapping down an attacker or two every single turn until you're ready to turn the corner or as you're turning the corner even. Uh, super great. The deck is, like, it's a 36 creature deck, but look how much interaction it has. Brazen Barrer is a bounce spell. Mausoleum Wanderer is a counter spell. Rattle Chains is a counter spell. Selfless Spirit protects your creatures. Nebelgast, or from Sweepers. Nebelgast Herald, you know, taps things down. Spectral Sailor draws cards. You know, Spell Queller is a counter spell. There's so much, in- and then you have the Eight Lords. You know, that so all of your creatures have a ton of utility. So don't think this is some like mindless aggro deck where you're just curving out. It's actually you know, this deck gets into a lot of intricate racing scenarios where you got to do a lot of combat math, figure out exactly how many creatures you can afford to attack with, exactly how you want to block. You know, you're going to win a game or lose a game based on whether or not you decide to trade creatures on turn two or turn four on like, you know, on any given attack, one small decision can really change things. So this deck's really fun. If you like playing close games, nail biter kind of games, um, Ooh, this, this sounds like my kind of deck. Like the more and more you're talking about it, this, yeah. this is definitely me. It, it has Mutavault, which is basically like at, at this point for me, having Mutavault is like the top of my checklist of, do I want to try this deck? Yeah. Does okay. it have a Mutavault check? I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and really at least like two, like you can't just be like, oh, I got one Mutavault in there for fun. Like, you gotta at least mean it to an extent. Yeah, at least mean it. Yeah, you got you, you gotta come with some conviction on your mutable account. My, my major issue here is is the mana base. This is an ally color deck and an aggressive deck. The mana is not great. Yeah, I mean you could you could see his concession to how bad the mana is at times where there's a mana confluence in this yeah. two color deck. Two color deck. Yeah, there's only two port towns because port town is a fucking joke. Yeah, which you've is heard me talking about game trail, right? It's the yeah. same thing. This is a line I wrote in my article with, you know, with one word deleted. <laughs> yeah. Port Trail, Port Town is a fucking joke yeah. of a magic card. You're like, I cannot wait until we get Secret Coast again. Uh, I, 
honestly, like the the next time they they reprint either Painlands or Fastlands for Ally Colors, like it is going to reshape how Pioneer works. Yeah, you're going to see Gruel aggressive decks, you know, Zorius decks really pick up, um, and and that's going to be fun. It'll be a fun moment. But for now, like even with the weak mana base, the this deck I think is a real player and uh, kind of going under the radar. This is the deck kind of like Merfolk that I think it doesn't get a lot of respect. Um, but it, with the addition of Brazen Borrower, with how good Nebula Gas Herald is in this aggressive metagame, this is this is definitely a nice one. You know, the, the Lords are do a really good job of helping you maintain the battlefield. And like when you're playing Spirits, if you have control over whether or not they can attack, you have complete control over the pace of the game because all your creatures fly. They're not doing much blocking. Like, you decide how much it needs to be a race and how much you get to just extend the game. And that kind of control is really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big, big fan of the Cyborg, too. Cyborg's really good. But I love that he gets to play Settler Wreckage because in any kind of creature matchup where you're going back and forth, when you play that fourth mana and just, like, say go, your entire deck is now unlocked. It's kind of like in the, in the modern one where it's like, I don't know, or in the past when people, like, when you have four mana, it's like, do they have Settle? Do they have Cryptic Command kind of thing? Do they have Mistbind Click? Like, you know, there's been now a lot of... they can have cr- anything. They can have anything in this deck. Do they have Spuckwaller? Do they have, you know, Rattle Chains? Whatever. So it's really hard to play around. I do think Settle's great. It's actually kind of difficult to cast. You know, this deck has 14 white sources in it. So it's not great for Settle, but you see still three copies because I think it's that good in the deck when you can cast it. Yeah. That it's worthwhile. There's one card I often see in this deck sideboard that I think is pretty good. And I kind of want to. I want to play some here. Is isolate? Remember this card? Which one's that one again? So, oh, is uh, that the one white destroy or exile something with perm- permanent cost one? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think I, I think that card is that. quite good against the aggressive decks. Gives you another one mana play, which this deck kind of wants. Um, you know, and and against mono black, like it exiles their. It's just know, good enough against champion. the red and black decks. I I like that idea a lot, actually. Yeah. Also, I think I think it's good against. Um, uh, I guess it's not that great, actually, now that I think about it against Is It and Soul, because turn one, um, what's its face? Stone Coil Serpent. When it's on the battlefield, it's CMC zero. So yeah. you can't get Serpent. That's a problem. Um, yeah, so it's not that great in that matchup. That That's another deck that's kind of reoccurred. Maybe you want some disenchants for them. Mystical Dispute's good in that matchup, though. Yeah, you're probably just fine enough in that deck. I mean, in that yeah. matchup. Uh after that, I mean, that's the second place list. The third place list is Mono Black Aggro. We've talked about this ad nauseum. So we're this gonna... is your default best deck. If yeah. you don't like know about this deck, know what it does, know you know how it works and how you're trying to attack it. Like, you know, I don't know what you're doing. One thing I will say is I want to try a Rod and Register in this deck. Yeah, I've, I, I've I seen it. My buddy didn't like it. He said it was like really, really clunky, but it is another Discord outlet for value. So. Yeah, I don't. I just want the bigger body. I think now that we're in a Niv Mizzet world, Spawn of Mayhem seems like kind of mad at me. So the seven six can actually attack into a niv. Uh, I kind of like, but eh, okay, maybe not. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's definitely a speculative. This is not a not a slam dunk, but like I would be interested in trying it. Uh, in fourth place, we have Azorius Control. Uh, the reason we wanted to talk about this one for a second is if you look in the sorcery section of this deck, there's an approach of the second sun, something we haven't really seen much of. Yeah, you know, it's a neat one condition. I think there's also an Elspeth in, in this version, so they're playing like you know they're trying to win here. They're not Brazen Borrower just... main, yeah. Yeah, they're they're not just sitting sitting here and, and winning with Castle Ardenvale, which I've seen like you know a lot of Azorius builds you know point towards. They're really trying to end the game. I, that actually, you know what? Like this makes a lot of sense again in a Niv Mizzet world. I do think Niv Mizzet is like the primary driver of what's going on. 
the influx of that deck and the reaction to it. You know, the Nimbus deck is, is pretty good at just grinding through control, has a lot of powerful cards, sideboards and some discard spells uh, to make sure they resolve, you know. So having this I win button in Approach of the Second Sun makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely agree. Really for that matchup. We also see two, two copies of Thassa's Intervention. Yeah, I've seen basically all, most Azorius decks incorporate this in, in small numbers. I, I know you've been a fan of Azorius Control. What do you think of this one? So I haven't gotten to play with the card very much. I've had it played against me, and it hasn't super impressed me. I don't love it as like a cheap counterspell, but it's not necessarily what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to find a card that has some flexibility early in the game, and then if you top deck it late, it's not as bad as Syncopate is. Which, you know, if you look at it versus Syncopate, yeah, this is an easy kind of move over. It's it's definitely worse on the draw or whatever than Syncopate would be, but if you get to use the ability of, like, look at the top X cards, put the two of them into your hand at, like, five, you know, if you get to do, like, a mini... Like, it does a good dig-through-time impression late in the game. Yeah. Oh, I think late in this card's a... This is a house. Yeah, you know? so I'm okay with it. To me, this is a card, and if you look at the numbers in this deck, like, take out the, like, Glimmer Genius or Hieroglyphic Elimination that they, that they used to play, trim one Absorb, play two of this, your deck probably gets better. Yeah, right? agreed. So it, it just better, like, makes you a little bit more consistent. You have the counter spell more often. You also have the draw spell more often. Yeah. I do want to make if, one more comment, though. They're obviously just, like, the smartest person alive. They have two Isolate in their sideboard. Yeah. Good card. Yeah. Also got two Dream Trawler. I see this card in the sideboard a lot. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's just like up. a. Yeah, it's just like a. It, it it can be. I mean, you still see Monster Mentor in a lot of sideboards. It can be a better pivot button when you want to bring in the creature. I think this card. They're just playing it instead of Lyra. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't die to you know Fry and various removal spells or whatever. Like, yeah. You know, it's not quite like sometimes the three life isn't quite enough to get you there. Uh, that the turn you play it. Um, but the, the fact that it just doesn't die when you play it on an even board, I think, is really important. Now, Ross, I am really excited about the fifth place list for multiple reasons. So uh, I'm going to call this quote-unquote mono-white devotion, but there is a card of another color in the stack, and it's something that you and I, in one of our first episodes, we talked about the pillars of the format. We thought this card would be a pillar of the format, and it has done nothing so far. Um, this is mono-white devotion splashing for collected company. And uh, this has the the new, uh, which we're going to get into this even more, the new Splinter Twin combo. That's in the, that's in this format, quote unquote. Um, you one, have one of yeah, one <laughs> of. I'm saying we're getting, spoiler alert for later. Uh, we have Heliod, Sun Crowned, and Walking Ballista. Now, um, this version we've seen a lot with the Owl from um, Throne of Eldraine, and it Arcanist seems like Sowl. Yeah, it seems like they've taken the Owl out and they're just playing Collected Company instead. I can kind of get behind this Collected Company, very powerful card, like just a very powerful card on rate, and. I actually like this deck. Like, I think it does a good approximation of being a good white beatdown deck that has this I win button kind of thing. Plus, I like the fact that you just have these busted draws where, like, you're not necessarily killing someone with a combo, but you have Nick those trying to Nick's, and you have Mana Sinks in your deck. Like, you have Walking Ballista. Your deck makes clues. Uh, you get some, you know, uh, some card advantage off Militia Bugler. You can activate Heliod Sun, uh, Sun Crown. You can do some crazy stuff with Charming Prince and stuff like that. So, like... This deck actually looks pretty powerful to me and pretty cool. Yeah, so the, uh, I don't know if you watched the very first Pioneer of Versus Live we did with Theros Beyond Death Cards. No. I am, I have a job. Well, la dee da. Yeah, I'm just about to say anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so the very, the first, I think it was the first deck I even played on that show, but one of the three decks I played in the first show was a mono white devotion deck with Heliod Ballista combo in it. Mine was a little bit bigger. I was playing some Angels. I was playing Archangel of Tithes, 
um, and uh, Archangel Avacyn, because I was like, ooh, Avacyn and, and Walking Ballista, that's a cool combo too, um, right? You, you, just like they did in Standard. Uh, Avacyn's a powerful card. and The key th- here is, like, I think everybody kind of figured out that the combo by itself is not really a good build around, because it doesn't kill on turn four. It doesn't even really kill on turn five. Like, it, it's just real expensive to make work, because you got to get two counters on the Ballista, then you got to give it lifelink. And then it, then it goes. So it just ended up being too expensive by itself. But Ballista is already a pretty reasonable card by itself, you know, just as a standalone. And so if you can put it in a shell where Heliod is also a reasonable card, even without Ballista, then you've got, you know, a deck that has a lot of false tempo. You know, it's playing two different plans at once, and it's doing a pretty good job of them. Mono White Devotion works because it both, you know, is the best way of enabling Heliod. Also gives you Nykthos, and Walking Ballista is a great mana sink for it, as we've seen in Green Devotion. So it was a pretty natural shell to build around. And we've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of it pop up. They're a little bit more combo-oriented than I was, which, you know, makes some sense. We see, like, Militia Buglers. We see the Owl that you mentioned. I like Collection Company quite a bit. It digs for the combo. Obviously, like, not good with Walking Ballista. This list still has 28 other hits, you know. Uh, and you can find, like, Bugler into the into Ballista if you need to. You can do a lot of cool stuff with it. I think you have that, things to make the mana work, even though, again, you're ally-colored. Um you know, this deck is playing four, four Divide Village just to get up to 12 green sources. Um, and it's playing 13 Plains cards with eight cards that care about them. That number isn't great. They've had to cut down to three Nykthos as a result. You know, I could even see going up on the land count here to try to uh, just make the mana, the colors work a little bit better. But, um, you know, the, the shell is solid. Uh, it, it's not incredibly powerful, but it's this aggro deck that is pretty good at gumming up the battlefield. So it's a little bit bigger than most aggro decks. That's actually a good place to be if you're playing aggro mirrors. But it can still beat down against, you know, control and combo decks. uh, And it can also race with the combo. So strategically, it's in a sound position. Uh, I don't think its cards are super powerful, right? You know, Anaphensic, Kintry Spirit, Charming Prince, Daxos, Militia Bugler. Just not super powerful magic cards. They work well in the shell. I think they're necessary. um, But, you know... If you're not drawing your combo pieces, if you're, they keep your Heliod um, uh, unactivated or keep it at just an enchantment, I don't think those cards are going to carry a ton of games. So I'm not super high on this deck, but I do think Collected Company is a really strong addition. I like it a lot more than the Owl, because when your cards aren't super great by themselves, at least you can try to just overwhelm them on a volume. You know, that's your plan, you know. One for one, I can't beat you, but how about if I have three of them and you only have one, or I have two and you only have one? You know, that that makes a lot of sense to me, in addition to just digging hard for your Heliod. Yeah, and you know what I like about this deck? It's kind of like what you said with the false tempo thing. You do get that advantage of your opponent knows you have this combo in their deck that could kill them, so they have to play around it kind of the entire game, and you get a lot of just... Yeah, you just get a lot of value off that. Do I take extra damage from this attack? Do I kill your Benelish Marshal, try to control the battlefield, but it's my only removal spell and you have a Heliod? You know, do I have to bring in a bunch of expensive removal to deal with Heliod, like, you know, Vraska's Contempt, even though it's not that great against the other threats in your deck uh, kind of thing? So that, that is valuable. That That's the kind of, like, that false tempo is the kind of thing that helps you win, even if your cards aren't individually matching up against your opponents. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, and, and this deck has, has ways to go. You know, we see a bunch of different lists. There, that's this is, the, this is the kind of deck that if somebody finds the right list, I could see it, you know, being better than I expect and really being a major player. There's definitely something to watch out for, uh, you know, this weekend. This, you know, there's, there's kind of a pretty long list of, like, decks to watch. Like, is this deck going to really break out? 
No, absolutely. I think I think it's like one of the coolest parts about these tournaments coming up. Like you're going to see a good bit of it at the open, and then you're going to see, you know, does someone bring it to one of the players' tours and do well? You know, and then I'm always interested to see the uh, what decks have the best record at the end of the tournament because you know sometimes a deck that did okay can be propped up by like a six zero record at like limited or something along those lines. So you have to be kind of careful with some of those results. So I'm interested to see that. Uh, speaking of more results, in sixth place we had another Insole Artifact uh, deck. Not really much to talk about here. You know, we've talked about this deck a ton. Nothing really different going on here, but the fact that this deck's back and, and putting up results. Yeah, no, I think this is another you know consequence of the, the Niv-Mizzet metagame and the, really the decline in red. You know, this is a deck that is relying on cheap creatures, and so the removal from the red deck, which is what they want to be doing on turns one and two, is really good against them. You know, maybe sometimes you can land the, the what's it called, the Insoul if they tap out, you know, they don't have it. That'll help. Even then, they probably have some abrades in their sideboard. So it was really hard to land, you know, your threats here, even your skill damage or dies to lightning strike, things like that. So that, that matchup was not particularly good for this deck. Uh, and the Niv-Mizzet matchup, where they're not doing a whole lot to interact with you on the first couple turns, uh, I think it is quite good. You know, they have Teferi... You know, they can't bounce your Stonecrawl Serpent, so if you insult that, that's safe. Even if they you know, bounce the insult creature, you've probably gotten an attack in, maybe two, uh, if you were on the play. So they don't do a whole lot to interact with your, you know, early draws. And if they don't interact with you on the first three turns of the game, that means they're probably within Shrapnel Blaster range. They're probably going to die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think this deck is a, a very good aggressive deck to match up against a Niv-Mizzet metagame. Uh, and it's just powerful enough to contend in other matchups. I don't like it against mono black aggro, which is, you know, kind of the most popular deck right now still. Uh, so that's a problem. But I think it matches up well against most of the rest of the field, if not all. Uh, Ross, are you ready? I am. Is your body ready? It is, Come, I think. Coming in at seventh place, Splinter Twin. As everybody on the website calls it, Splinter Twin. Now, if you haven't seen this or know what we're talking about yet, we're going to go through this. It's, it's a blue-black deck. And there's a couple different ways to build this. But it all centers around the card Inverter of Truth. Now, I'm going to read Inverter of Truth to you. It's two black black for an Eldrazi. It's a 6-6. Six, six. It's devoid. Um, it's flying. So this is a gigantic creature, by the way. But, but you don't care. <laughs> but when it enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your library face down, then shuffle all cards from your graveyard into your library. So there's there's an obvious way to there's an obvious two-card combo here with Inverter of Truths, Thassa's Oracle, or Jace Wielder of Mysteries. Uh, very simple way to, you know, win the game. Both of them say if you have no cards in your library or you would draw more past your deck, you win. Uh, it does replace your graveyard in, into your library, but there's a couple ways to kind of make this work. You've got Dig Through Time and Murderous Cut in your deck too, so you can kind of cheese them out there as well. And like Dig Through Time is a card you would want anyway because it, you know, just digs for the combo pieces. So Dig is, is literally perfect. There might not be a better Dig Through Time deck in, the, in all of Pioneer, Murderous Cut, probably number one on the list for, like, most underplayed card ever in this format so far. The card is extremely powerful and just hasn't really found a home. Yeah, it's just hard with... Uh, no like fetch lands and stuff when, like that. Yeah, but when you're... Uh, I had this explained to me, actually, by Brad Nelson, where, like, the issue with Murderous Cut in older formats has always been, if you're putting an effort to really make Delve cards good, you want either ones that are super overpowered, like Dig and, um, and Treasure Cruise, or Proactive. Like you know, Gurmag Angler. Gurmag Angler. Yeah. Murderous Cut does ne never really fit. It was a nice, you know, two of in standard decks. 
but it hasn't ever really fit in the in the older formats. It also isn't like ostensibly supposed to be a one mana removal spell, but it doesn't work on turn one. That's always a problem. So it's not really a one mana removal spell. Right. It's like a cheap removal spell that helps you double spell. Um, you know, on turn three and four, but definitely good here because you just appreciate the extra delve. Um, you know, basically this is a control deck. You know, we got our thought seizes, collective brutalities. We got our removal and cut and push. We got a Bantu's last reckoning. That's kind of cool. And then we've got our, you know, our ways to tear through our deck and find combo pieces, opt, discovery, dispersal, dig through time. You know, the only one that, like, I don't think, I think wouldn't be here if we were a standard control deck is discovery. Uh, and, you know, it's not a great card, but it's reasonable. It does what it's supposed to do. It, you know, gets you to your inverter of truth faster. Yeah, yeah. And, and helps you cast, you know, dig through time. So, you know, Jace Wilder of Mysteries can just play a card advantage role. You can just start plussing it and just draw a bunch of cards, you know, and kill all your opponent's stuff if that's what you want to do in the matchup. Especially if they bring in, you know, a bunch of, like, counter spells for their, the combo and, and for, like, Inverter of Truth and stuff like that. Like, you can just punish them by being this control deck. So, uh, a really, another really nice, um, you know, nice build, although this one was kind of obvious. You just take the combo and, and put a bunch of... The combo is so clean that it's kind of easy to build around, uh, which kind of worries me. Also, the fact that you can just play both parts on the same turn. So, like... You know, for the first four turns of the game, you can just be interacting, and then on turn five, you're like, bam, dig through time. While while on the, on, while you're recovering, turn six, you know, cast both my things. I have no graveyard because I just cast dig. You know, you're dead. So th this is this my. I think this is the top of my list actually. You know, there, there's three kind of combo decks that are on the watch list. There's this one. There's Heliod Ballista, and there's uh, Underworld Breach. And I've been kind of singing the praises of Underworld Breach a bit, but th this one I I think is above it. I think. I've got to say, though, like, I'm, I'm kind of expecting a, a breakout performance because it's just so clean. I just uh, tabbed over to Twitter for a second, and the first thing I see is Emma Handy tweeting that she just 5-0'd with it on. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, I, I do think this deck is great. Like you said, like, you know, it just plays as a blue-black control deck, has all, that, has all that stuff. So you get all the good cards that you would normally get. You know, you have your Fatal Pushes and stuff like that. And the combo is harder to interact with than the other ones where, like, both pieces are a creature. You know what I mean? Or, like, both pieces are the same kind of permanent. Both of these are creatures, but, like, you don't care if they die. They don't yeah. have to stay on the... You're just looking for ETB effects. Like, so maybe... And like, That's more what I meant. It's it's it's, it's not as... Uh, you don't have to have them both in play. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as... And, like, it's not like a deck that you can just bring in to Kotli Honor Guard against me. Like, okay, I've got my answer to the combo. Like, we're playing four Fatal Push, two Murderous Cut main with, like, 12 ways to tear through our deck. Like, I don't give a fuck about a two-mana 1-3. I'll kill it eventually and kill you. So like, and like Thassa's Oracle can play some early defense if you draw extra copies against aggressive decks. So um, I, I have, to, I wanted to ask people who play this deck how many games they win by attacking with Inverter. Like, I, I've heard it's you, not zero. Yeah, how many times you just like have like a five card graveyard from casting like, you know, turn one Thought Seize, turn two Discovery, turn three Kill Spell on this, cast Op, turn four Inverter, let's go. Yeah, and <laughs> you know what else about that? Your draw steps for the game are gas. Yeah, like you're only okay. drawing gas, so like that's pretty do, good. Do, do you still get to keep your hand? Right. Yes. Yeah. So let, let's go. Yeah. So uh, pretty cool thing. There's a Dragon Lord Slumgar in the sideboard as well. Card that I, when this card hits, oh baby, the game is over. It's a nice. So big, big, big fan. Um, in eighth place, uh, just another version of I'm gonna call this one Chonky Red because it plays this is, a little this bit is chonky. a little bit bigger. But it, they did the thing that I talked about. I think I sent you a message about this uh, a few weeks ago. They have four Thought Not Seer main. You're just yeah. playing Battlefield Forge, uh, Handwork Battlements, 
uh, Mutavault, and Raminepirins. Yeah. There, that's know, a lot of colorless horses. Todd had already tried Heinrich Battlements in regular Chonky Red, so like one of those is completely reasonable. Obviously, Mutavault, Raminepirins, great. So you're really just like cutting three mountains for three Battlefield Forge, and like as a result, you get to play four Thought Knots here. I still don't think this is where you want to be, but it's an interesting way to take the deck when the metagame cycles back around to it. You know, you said you, you've been unimpressed with Torbrin in this deck. Maybe you want Thought Knots here. Yeah, maybe that's like your your four drop that that's better. It also helps like it can help with some of your matchups that are a little bit harder, right? Like sometimes you're a little you know rougher on control. You can maybe get your your Thought Knots here in under a uh, Niv Mizzet and take their Niv Mizzet. Hopefully, I mean like their draw usually doesn't let you do that kind of thing, but you know it's something. You know, yeah, you're trying. Thought like you cast Thought Knots here on turn four. If you're on the play, like they're not, they're usually have one piece of acceleration. You know, they play seven or eight mana creatures. So if you're on the play, your Thought Knots here is taking their Niv Mizzet or their Bring Delight. Oh, and it, like, you know, if they don't have a mana creature, they have to like jump with it or something. I don't know. Then maybe you can get them. So uh, I'm 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 a fan uh, of the card in this deck, even though I'm still not a fan of the deck right now. Yeah. So. Uh, that's it for the top eight. The rest of the decks, you know, kind of pretty much the same stuff. You, you didn't really see too many decks that were like super crazy. Like 14th place had a blue black control deck with like Torrential Gear Hulk, Scarab Gods, Jace Friends, Prodigies, and just pretty much what you'd think. You know, I see four. Unprompted, Tannen brought up the Torrential Gear Hulk deck. Yeah, I know, right? There's four <laughs> Drown of the Lock, too. Another card that I love that is very hard to make good <laughs> in this format. But. He gets to play Tyrant Scorn as well, another card that's just very powerful on rate. So, that, so the the decks that we talked about today, I think those are the decks, you know, unless we miss something, like you said, that you are going to expect to see this weekend. And there is a lot of magic to watch this weekend. Like, I don't know if I'm going to leave my house very much this weekend. I'm going to be watching a lot of Twitch uh, as much as I possibly can. I'm going to be watching the Opens live. Um, if you are in our uh, Discord, I definitely recommend that you watch some of these events because I'll probably get in the voice channel this weekend with this much going on. And then we have two players tours. So I think these are the decks that you really expect to see. Do you expect to see anything else? Um, I, I think that about covers it. There are some, uh, there's still some green kind of stompy decks around. Right. They're not super prevalent. The, the Golgari stompy deck I think is interesting. I, I helped uh, Anthony Lowry tune up a list a bit for a, a PTQ. He lost his winning in, but really liked the deck. Um, and it, you know, it's basically mono green, but it's splashing for rotting Regisaur obviously makes the great henge better i'm not super high on the great henge but like mana creature rotting regisaur vivian arcbow ranger you see and he's playing vivian in his list or like shadow sphere or something to give it trample especially the lifelink like that seems cool to me yeah shadow spear is definitely a card that i have seen popping up in some spots or two yeah so uh, i'm i'm into something like that maybe just to give yourself a little bit more oomph the green decks haven't really been doing it um Though maybe with fewer glory bringers around, they, they could see a resurgence. I, I they're kind of on the fringe for me. Uh, you know, we talked about the combo decks, but the the key here is that like we're moving into an aggressive phase of the metagame in response to Niv Mizzet. So you know, like you gotta you gotta stop the arms race. You still have to you know keep Niv Mizzet around, but like it's gonna be an aggressive weekend. Yeah, I I, I expect I expect the the red decks to probably get a little more aggressive. There's gonna be mono black still. You know, like you said, I expect some. I definitely expect a more aggressive tint to the format than we've seen uh, recently. So, super excited for all this stuff. All right, I'm gonna put you out. On the, I'm gonna put you out on the uh, a limb here. Not the open. Give me, give me a deck that wins a players tour this weekend. That wins a players tour. 
Yeah, because the open it gets skewed because it's a team event. Yeah, you and I both know this. That the, the uh, I, I it called to mind. Uh, I remember Jim Davis wrote an article about this about not marrying the results from team events. Uh, there was one where you know you and I lost in the finals where Brendan Candio was playing with us, and I still remember getting messaged multiple times that week with people like, "Hey man, I've been playing to Candio's deck from Standard, and am I missing something?" I'm like, no, no, it's actually bad. Like it's it it's, it's got awful and unplayable. Hot garbage. Yeah, it's like one of the worst decks he's ever played. Period. Like that's it. Hot garbage yeah but we did a lot of winning wow. that weekend so <laughs> yeah it was a i he went like 10-5 too it was like honestly it was one of the most impressive performances i've ever seen 10-5ing oh. with that um, complete and utter trash pile i was never like super wor- like here, here's the thing brennan is uh one of the best deck builders i've ever played with and one of the best players i've ever played with period I, i'm not saying that on just the scg tour there, no caveat just period he's that good when especially when he's on like, when he's on, when he's tuned into standard, like, there, there's not many people that are better. Especially when the deck suits his playstyle. He's played some of the best games I've ever seen in my life. I was a little worried that weekend because I thought our deck was that bad. But I knew that he would win some games just being better than his opponents and, like, being better at magic than his opponents. But I'm not going to lie. During the top eight, I kept, like, peeking over because I knew that's where our weakness was. It, like, you and I didn't really have a lot of margin for error. And there was multiple games where I'd look over. It would be, like, turn three, Right or turn four, and his opponent, like, missed a land drop and hasn't done much, and Brennan has a bunch of permits to play, and I'm just like, yes, thank God. <laughs> Brennan just had, like, double history. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God, you know, because, like, his deck actually couldn't close after that if that wasn't good enough. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, the deck was just so random. Anyway. We are doing it, bro. Doing it, boys. All right, you had a minute to think about it. We'll give me a deck that's winning. If I had to pick the deck that is going to win one of the player's tours, I would say somebody figures out an inverter deck and tunes it really well and... and Oh, you're going for the surprise. Okay, okay. I, I, I don't think it's the most likely deck to top eight, but if you're talking most likely to win, I'm Inverter. Most likely to top eight, I like Mono Red. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the uh, the easy out is just saying, like, I think a version of Mono Red wins the tournament. I, I think close to Keeney's list. Something with, with Rimrock Knight. Yeah, I'm going to say something on the aggressive tent wins one of the terms. I, th- I think one of the aggressive red decks, someone's just going to, Power their way through the tournament. I think, I think the deck's too consistent. Not in a bad way. Like, oh, don't ba- not ban it. It's too consistent. I think just on average, if you don't do what you're supposed, your deck is supposed to be doing every game, they're going to kill you. And then even when you do, they're still going to kill you. Like, the deck is just that good. It's that efficient. It's that hateful, too. Like, it does that much damage that fast. Especially if, like, they win a lot of their die rolls, Ross. You know, if they, they're really good at high rolling. <laughs> Do we have to go back to the math segment, Tannen? I just thought it was hilarious that there was the, the, the MTG Twitter discourse for an entire day was die rolling. I was like, really? Not the first time that has happened. Is it, is it that slow of a is that slow of a day? Not the first time that has happened. But I don't know. People just I just I the thing I laughed about was the first time and maybe it I, it wasn't even the first time because I look at you know, I, I try to do odd even just because you never tie and I like I just want to get it over with. And uh and the first, like you know, you just get people that say, Oh no, seven's the most likely number, so odd is more likely, that's not fair. Or there's no one and then the other side of it is people who say there's no one, so even is more likely, so that's not fair. And it's like, well, I, I just want two of those people like to be next to each other and to both hear that and be like, huh. I wanna see like what happens. You see one of them actually realize the like the, the light bulb goes off. I just, I just want, I want that to happen. You want that to happen. All right. 
You know what I want to happen? I want people to read your Twitter, read your articles, or watch your show. Where can they do that? Well, okay. We'll start with number one. Read my Twitter. I am at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. I try to respond to people. So if you have questions, you know, get at me there. Um, The second thing was read my articles. They're on StarCityGames.com. They typically go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's uh, article, as I said earlier in the episode, is about Azorius Spirits and why I think it is underrated. Uh, has a good, you know, a lot of the things we talked about in this show, I cover in some detail in the article as well. So if you want a more in-depth treatment, if you really liked the topics of discussion today, I encourage you to look into that. Or if you just like, you know, flying ghosts. Um, then the show, uh, as I am the co-host of Versus Live with Corey Baumeister Every Tuesday and Thursday from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash starcitygames. Same channel you go to to watch open coverage. We are live during the week bringing you anything we think is relevant and or fun. So, you know, this uh, today's show, if you missed it, we played, you know, the what we thought were the decks to beat in all three formats preparing for Richmond. On Thursday's show, we are going to be playing the decks that we think are really well positioned. So maybe not the most popular decks, but decks we think and expect to do quite well. So if you want to get our thoughts on, on all three metagames, Modern, Pioneer, and Standard, be sure to watch that show. And we do have a good time with it. Uh, if you can't catch us live, don't worry. The uh, episodes do go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Tuesday shows go up the following Friday. Thursday shows go up the following Monday. So you got to wait three or four days, but you can still watch them then. If you wanted to follow me a little more, hear some more from me. I am at the Tan and Grace on Twitter. Uh, a lot of sports, a lot of randomness, definitely a lot of magic, especially in the next couple weeks. I'm probably going to be speaking a lot about magic the next couple weeks. Um, if you wanted to follow the Twitter of the cast, it's at Cast Pioneer. If you type in Pioneer Cast, it'll also pop up, but it's at Cast Pioneer. Um, you heard us mention our Discord earlier in the show. If you go to our Twitter, we have a link in there for the Discord. Um, it'll bring you to there. Nice community we got going there. Probably like somewhere between 500 to 1,000 people in there talking about all kinds of stuff. Uh, especially, I'm especially uh, a big fan of one of the newest sections that we have in there. Um, we have the food section that's been uh, going off and, and super popular. So Yeah, I got to tell Adam, uh, you know, Yeoman 5, I guess I should say, he deals a lot of cooking. Yeah, he does. It looks like he's pretty good at it. Yeah. I d- so I was joking about, not joking, uh, we're, we're working out, you know, you and Brennan coming to visit sometime soon, and maybe Jim Davis. I might invite Adam, and I've, I've never met the guy, I don't think, Mr. Yeoman. I'm going to be like, bruh, just just come do some cooking. So you can definitely, <laughs> you can find the link on our Twitter in there, and uh, also you can find a link to our Patreon, uh, our patrons. I got to say this. Thanks, everybody, who's been supporting the show so far. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are the real MVPs. We couldn't do this without you, and you're the reasons that we do this show. Um, you help keep Brent sane when he does all the uh, audio and video stuff for our st- uh, Well, possible video in the future. Possible video in the future. I'm, I'm going to talk to Ross about that off air, but uh, all the audio stuff that goes on now. A um, couple different tiers in there, and we're going to figure out what we're going to do with some of the artwork and stuff that we've got coming. We've got tokens and some other stuff coming down the pipeline, so... If that's something that interests you, make sure you get into our Patreon and you can get some of that stuff there. Also, if you want to hear about what Ross is playing this week in the Open ahead of time, he will be posting his deck list Friday in there. So if you get an event this weekend that you want to play in and you want to make sure that you do as well as possible, Ross will tell you what deck he's playing. He'll probably give you a little blurb about why. Can't guarantee that he'll respond to there. He might be really busy. He's going to be traveling Friday as much as he possibly can. Also, he's going to try to get it in there. I, gar- I guarantee you this week. I haven't done the first two. I'm sorry. That's that's on me. I guarantee you this week it'll be there. 
I'm traveling in the afternoon. I will be there early evening. I don't have a challenge event for BCW. Nice free evening. It'll be there. I will, I will say this. You have a good excuse for one of them. Y'all were up till three in the morning or whatever, building the deck the night before. But then we had to, you know, be up early. Yeah. Literally, the deck list was not finalized until 1 a.m. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you had to go to bed and you had to get up and find some of the cards. Like, we'll give you... Whatever. Also, show's not over yet because I forgot a small section of the show. We had two uh, mailbag submissions and you get to do mailbag submissions for the show if you're a patron. See, I missed it there, but I got a good segue, Ross. So we're kind of we're kind of saving it. Yeah, doing a little things a little out of order here, but we'll catch these. We got two in the queue in the mailbag right now. First one from Boom Boom Zoom. Do you think that Dream Trawler will see play in Azorius Control as the preferred win condition? And this is talking about Pioneer specifically. Obviously, we're a Pioneer cast. Yeah, and so this one kind of came out earlier. You know, we got this last Thursday, and we've seen a lot of deck lists since then. So I'm just going to say yes. I mean, we, we've seen the card out. Also, I think the card is just good. You mentioned earlier it's just a better version of Lyra or Baneslinger Angel. I like the card a lot. I'm a little worried about it as a primary win condition in a Niv-Mizzet metagame, but if the aggro decks push out Niv-Mizzet, then I would be main decking this card for sure. Yeah. So I, th- I, I don't think it's a you know something that is always going to be there, but in the right metagame, definitely. Right. And then the next question was from the Great Boomer. Just two two questions from people boom in their name. Anyway, the Great Boomer asked, "Where do you think Pioneer is going to head next? Example: Do you see a focus uh, to Devotion? I gotta say, it, it we kind of you know." Uh, got ahead of ourselves with this one with this with this with the show but i was gonna say i think we're gonna start to see the rise of aggressive decks soon and we're starting to see that you know the red decks are tending towards aggressiveness now the black dragger decks been the best deck in the history of pioneer in the, in the short amount of time that's been going on uh mutavault is probably the best card in the format you know it's like one of the most powerful cards so i gotta say i think it's gonna go a little more aggro also there was another little caveat to this he said also tan grace i still owe you that beer from jim davis streaming I don't exactly remember why they owe me a beer. It like triggers something in my brain that I'm like, I should know this, but I don't remember exactly why. But I will say this, great boomer, if you're listening, and if you go to an event anytime soon and you see Ross Merriam there, he can have my beer. I will accept it on Tannen's behalf very graciously um, and deliciously. If it's a shitty beer, make him like chug it right there. <laughs> he's just going to find me at a tournament hand me like a warm Miller Lite. No, he's going to ice you. <laughs> I hope you get iced. I, I got iced for the first time by Corey at Thanksgiving. I was at his house. That's just not he, cool. He like asked me to like get. We're like cooking, and I was helping them, to, you know, get things together. He like asked me to get something out of a drawer. He's like, "Oh no, no, not not that drawer. It's in the other one." And I was like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's his house." I just opened the drawer. There's a smart off ice in it. He's like, "Ah, you got iced." Yeah, that's just not okay. That's that, that's grounds for running a friendship. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I drank it. Spoiler alert. Yeah, well, I mean, I, every time I've iced, I've been doing it, too. In fact, the the last time that I was in Roanoke, not for an invitational, I got iced at uh, Todd Anderson's house. It was for his nice. Halloween party. <laughs> I had to buy a Halloween costume in Roanoke. I went as, like, Captain America. I got this, like, Captain American mask and, like, a shield. And I randomly had, like, a Captain America t-shirt with me. So I just, like, I was like, all right, whatever. whatever. We'll, just, we'll put it together. And I think you were there that night. And the one thing I remember is I opened the door, because I'm a good Southern gentleman, and someone knocked on the door, so I opened the door, and it was BBD, right? And he just looks at me all serious, and I'm like, Brian, are, are, are you okay? And he goes, I'm the one who knocks. And he had, like, <laughs> shaved his facial hair to look like, uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad? Walter White. <laughs> I had not seen an episode of Breaking Bad at this point. And I think the show was <laughs> over, or it was, like, into the last season, and I'm just like, What? He just looks at me all seriously and goes, I'm the one who knocks, or whatever. And I'm just like, 
Yeah, and you know he's just going to commi- commit yeah, himself. Yeah, he's committing, and I'm just like, of, co- of course you are. That, that's why I opened the door. It's like there's like this standoff going on for like a solid minute, minute and a half. And I'm just like, eventually I get tired of it, just like kind of walk away. And then later he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, the guy from Breaking Bad. And I was like, yeah, I've never, it's like, I'm the one person who hasn't seen the show. Yet. Yeah, since then, yeah, since then I've seen all of it, obviously, and it's great. But oh, that is a that's a vintage BBD. Yeah, just ruining uh, his story. costume. Yeah, it was it was so gas. But that's great. Anyway, um, thanks for listening to this week's episode. Uh, Ross and I are both excited and scared to bring you the next couple episodes because they're going to be really long or really dense. I don't know. It's gonna yeah. It's gonna be hopefully hopefully it's I'm feeling be some better. Extra math. Hopefully I'm feeling no. Just no. I have some homework for you before next week's show. By no. The way. This is this is why I have a job. So I don't have homework anymore. Well, my homework <laughs> ma- makes me money instead of grades now. But anyway, I pay um, you in love and friendship. That's true. That's true. I need to call Brennan because we need to make that trip happen. But anyway, uh, dude, we could maybe record. We could maybe record the show in person. That'd be fun. That would be yes. Be, so we can get Brennan in on it. That'd be cool. Um, actually, let's get let's get the baby. The baby's got better opinions than he does. Probably. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll see all of y'all next week. Thanks for listening this week. Bye. Bye.